0: Welcome to the Churchmount Sheepdogs podcast. In this series, I interview handlers and experts from Ireland and indeed from all over the world. And the aim of the series is to spark new ideas for training and trialing for the listener as a result of these conversations. The series is in part sponsored by Away With Dogs, a new sheepdog trial YouTube series. And you can find out more on awaywithdogs.co.uk. Recently, I was talking to a Scottish handler who's been living in America for the past 20 years, Mr. Alistair McRae. Before Alistair left for America, he had a lot of success here in the international. And, uh, you know, he was competing with guys like Gwyn Jones, Penn Macknow and Bobby DL. And, uh, you know, he was was runner-up in the Supreme twice and he won one. Alistair has some interesting thoughts on shedding and singling, uh, particularly, which was what caught my attention when I was talking to him the conversation went on for over an hour so we have probably going to cut it into three interviews and in this first one anyway it's it's just a bit of an introduction to Alistair and just gives a little bit of background about his dogs and, and his experience in the Supreme so I hope you like it
1: When I started sheepdog trialing, when I was first introduced to dogs and everything, it was around 1997 and, uh, you know, 98, 99. I was kind of trialing locally and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I didn't know anything about you. And then I went to North Carolina once for a couple of weeks and I was at a trial and I saw you running there. And I heard him talking about this Scotchman that was living in America and was extremely good. And uh, uh, so I hadn't heard anything about you. What age were you When did you leave Scotland?
2: I left Scotland in March of 1995 and came out to to Virginia and um, stayed with with people, brought me out here, you know, got my green card and all that stuff, so um, people called Barbara and Stuart Ligon at that time, very grateful to them for for all uh, that they helped me with. I, I think it's
1: amusing any time we talk that you've been out there so long and uh, for all I know, you could be in Scotland right now. It's like you never left when, when they hear your accent. Aye,
2: they've, they've never managed to get rid of that part. Uh, a, lot of things, a lot of things changed, but my accent is uh, <laughs>
1: held up. Yes. And uh, and so it's only recently when I was talking to you and all that I realised that uh, that like in five years you were top five of the Supreme with, with five dogs, and you were like, you were coming second, and you, you won it, and you were second a couple of times. I was kind of shocked wh- when I saw that. And you did it with lots of different dogs, Alistair.
2: I, at that time, I was um, didn't have a lot of money, and what I used to do was to try and get dogs that had a, a little quality about them that maybe people weren't getting on with, turn them around. Get them qualified for the national. If I could get them in the team, get them to the international, sell them for as much as I could, and then start again for the next year. And uh, I did that with with two or three dogs about that time. And I was kind of fortunate. I landed on some some really nice dogs, and and they they enabled me to to have some good placings at the international, which is always a very very satisfying feeling. Uh, when you when you get to the supreme, that's one of the things that when I was a when I first started out. I always thought if I could get to the Supreme like everybody else, and it seemed like a pipe dream at that time. But uh, you work hard and stick in and learn your craft and listen to people that will have knowledge. It's amazing what you can achieve. And what sort of a place were you working in, or what
1: kind of work were you doing when you were making those dogs?
2: I had a hill farm near Kinross, and it wasn't much in by ground. It was mostly hill. It was about 600 acres of hill. And... uh, 80 acres in by uh, of reclaimed hill ground and I rented that and uh, training dogs helped me supplement my my income. You know it's a bit like a lot of people in Wales you know you've got to if you don't have a farm that's big enough to give you a good living then you've got to do other things as well and uh, training dogs certainly helped me and I used to train them for other people and Train them for myself, uh, buy young ones, train them. You know, buy ones. Other people were usually ones that were too strong for others, or, or they were having real difficulty with. I could uh, could sort them out and get them to the trials. And then when you get them to the trials, then people see them there. And then when they know that you sell, you know, they, even farmers would come and want to want to buy the dogs, and they would sell the dogs. So. Yeah, that was of
1: what it was. Yeah, so you were putting lots of dogs through your hands. You were getting a great look at dogs. I'm sure they were showing you lots of things too. But, and what kind of age were you at that time? Oh, well, probably thirties, early thirties. And um, and so like I often hear fellas saying, you know, Oh, it's hard to get a good dog. It's not simple to get into the team and this kind of thing. And here you were bumping around in in, in supreme finals in in the top five and and winning one of them and all like. How did you, when you were taking dogs that, well, they sound pretty much like maybe other people's rejects or, or were rejected for one reason or another. What sort of things were you identifying in the dogs that you knew these were dogs that you could, you know, that, well, were fit for what you were trying to get to, which was the Supreme Final, like, how, how did you identify them?
2: Well, in 1990, I'd bought a dog because I had to. I bought a dog called Butte from Kenny Brenner and they... I should say probably that was about 87. She was unregistered. And uh, I had to buy her. I, I had uh, lost a dog in the hill. And I had no dogs to do my work with. And I bought her. I really didn't like her that much. But I was just desperate for a dog. And she actually turned out to, to, into a real good one in 90. And then um, I sold her back to Kenny Bremner. And he went on to win the International Driving Championship with her. Um, after I had been second with her in the Supreme. Uh, Danic to uh, Gwynne-Jones-Bernachnos-Queen. And then the next year, um, I bought another two dogs, one from Ian Sterling called Nap, who's a bright, strong dog, and uh, a McLeod's staff son called Glen. Solved Glen Glenn, and I tried to get Nap in the team and didn't make it with him and the team in 91, but got him in in 92, along with a dog called Cory. And Corrie had bought, at the nursery final in March, Bob Shannon, he was a nice dog But Bob couldn't get an outrun on him He really struggled getting an outrun on him and So I bought him in March And actually on the off chance I just entered him for the National And the National that year was up in Thurso, And there was no A lot of people didn't want to travel at that time The big distance to Mm Thurso. So there was only 147 entries So I got in with no qualifying points And I ran that quarry at probably Seven trials before the National Once I got him straightened out and never let him get to his sheep once. He was he was um he was a bad outrunner and I never let him get to his sheep once without stopping and putting him out. And the first time I ever let him go go to his sheep without a correction was at the national and I think he was seventh. Oh wow. Got him through to the Supreme and then the day day of the Supreme I was second to Wisp and I sold him to a gentleman called Jim Dyson and that night I went to John Roberts, who called Jack Roberts or He's a dog dealer from Wales that I'm very friendly with and he gave me quite a number of nice dogs. And I picked up a dog called Glenn that he bought off the great Alan Jones and I took him home and then the next year, and I had a young bitch I'd bought, uh, I'd trained and she wasn't what the what the, the gentleman I'd trained her for was looking for and so uh, I went home and and uh, started working on them and the next year I was first and fourth in the Supreme with those. Yes. And, you know, then I picked up another dog from Kenny Wood called Ben, and I got him into the team. in uh, the following year, and you know, I just—I think I was just fortunate to get good quality dogs at that time that people were just having a little difficulty with, and I managed to overcome it a little bit. Well, see that, Alistair,
1: like you're coming, you're winning it with Nan and Fortit Glen, and you have the dogs the year. What sort of age were they when you bought them?
2: Uh, Glen was two. I think they were all all about two years old, very much. Nat was an older dog. I sold him as well. He was a he was a very talented dog, but he was he was a tough one, and uh, he was a bit of age about him. I think he was maybe five when I bought him, and I ran him for three years. But um, <clears throat> mostly, about, mostly about two years old, I think, when, when I got them eighteen months maybe.
1: Yeah, and so like, but you were able to turn him around fairly fast and get into get into the serious money there with him. Like, so what Nan was only like three or three and a half, and you won the Supreme.
2: Aye, that uh, that was. She was pretty young then, and and she she actually uh, got hung up in a fence uh, just over a year before that, and uh, about a year and a half before that, and uh, did her her ligaments um, and her knee, and so she was laid off uh, for a long time, um, probably, I think, five or six months after the operation. So, you know, I actually had her, but I couldn't run her, and uh, when she came came back, like a year and a half before I won the International, I couldn't hardly get her around her. A nursery trial, yeah, and uh after she came back from the injury she was she was like a different dog and and uh, she was really good in that, and the year she uh, won with her uh Elway Glenn was fourth, and uh for some reason, he never did it before, and I don't know why it took him, but he ran through the middle of the sheep at the cross drive gates, and the judges took twenty i think it was twenty or twenty five points a piece of me, I think it was twenty points a piece of me, so I lost eighty points at the cross and, drive and, you still, and, he and still uh, I still came fourth he was he was still forced That's how good the run was going up until
1: <laughs> <laughs> then. Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah, that's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's deadly. But um,
1: no, just you put me thinking there because like, say say if you start a young dog there and you've seen hundreds of them since I'm sure. But how when do you start kind of getting a good feeling or you start thinking this could be one? Like I, I know things I look for. Say I have I have three things, and if they're there in in enough quantity, you know, I know it's a dog. I will keep proceeding with. But what kind of things do you look for? And or maybe you come across and you say, Oh, I have stopped now to get, to move this one on. It's not not going to go on for me.
2: You know, it's hard. I I, I kind of don't really look for anything. I take I take each dog on an individual basis and see what. Oh, it's a it's a little bit like being a mechanic. I, I'm very interested in what makes them work. I'm interested in what. What I can sort and, and when I can't, what I can't sort, and uh, you know, too much eye is something I don't like. And I, I, I kind of concentrate on the, on the on the faults more than I do on the on, on the pros. Yes. I
1: always
2: I always think you know when you look at a dog, it's like it's a bit like pornography. It's very hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> you know it. Yes. It's just like. You you, you you just see that you see the dog in itself so i don't actually look for anything but i mean i like i like power i like stamina you know i like um a dog that wants to stick in and get the job done and if i can get a good if i can get a good sound work dog then usually i can train it to be a relatively good um trial dog but i always the saturday trials were a lot of fun and i like going to them and like competing at them but for a dog that I'm evaluating I'm always thinking of you know the biggest trial in the country whether it's the national finals out here or the international in Scotland I'm always thinking is this is this an international dog and I've always had been able to have quite a good eye for something that <clears throat> excuse me for something that I think that I could uh, improve enough to to take it to the take it to the top but you know that i would I would say that I don't really look for anything in particular i evaluate the dog first
1: and then see what its problems are and see what its good points are and then go from there yes yes um the the a thing that I, I i talked to you about before now and and i, I love what you had to say was about it, was shedding and but more particularly even singling and uh just and how you just you regard it as something important in a dog um how do you say, say you have a youngish dog and all when can you start to see if he's going to have it like i know when you train you like to teach them and set it up that you know that it's nice and easy and that they enjoy doing it. But at what point do you decide I have a dog here that can really shed and really single, or I don't and it's just not quite good enough? Uh, what do you look for there to with, with with shedding to know when you're onto a good one?
2: Well, I do I do like a a, a dog that will wear a single. I don't I, if a dog won't wear a single, it's going to let you down. At some point, it will let you down and. Uh, you'll have to help it more than you want to. Whether it's on the farm when you're when you're trying to catch a ewe on the hill, you're trying to catch a ewe, or or you know at lambing time or whatever, or if it's at a at a at a trial, if you just you know you get one of these big trials and you've got five ribbon sheep in the twenty, and and one of the ribbon ones breaks out to join the to to join the plain group, well your dog's got to be able to go and get it, stop it, and bring it back. Otherwise you've got to bring the whole lot back. So. You know, if your dog won't wear a single, then it's a, or don't, won't work a single, then you've either got to be able to help it and uh, bluff your way through it, which means it's got to be able to stand the training to do that and, and the obedience to do that, or um, or you're going to be sunk. So starting off with a young dog, I would say that you start off, you know, just with a shed, and you shed a few, you know, maybe, let's say, 15 or 20 or 10. But uh, enough to where there's two groups, and and uh, when you shed them off, you see how your dog takes to that. Yes.
1: And yes. Th-
2: and then if your dog if your dog takes it uh, quite well, then you maybe try a few less, and then a few less, and then a few less until, going by how the dog's reacting to what you're doing, you, you then try them on a single. So that's probably a a matter of how good the dog is on what you're doing, whether you move forward and and uh, make it more difficult till you get to a single. And then you'll find some dogs just take it that well. You know, as far as teaching shedding goes, dogs with a, you know, good predisposition to shed is, you know, you can teach them, can attend wrong ways and they can still be great shedders. But if they don't have that predisposition, then how you teach them is, is important. So you need to be a lot more careful with, with those kind to keep their confidence up.
1: And And I'd imagine, like... You set it up well, and, and you, you're careful how you train, how you start with shedding and, and moving to singling. But really, at the end of the day, a good single dog, does he just either have it or not have it? Like
2: You know, generally, they probably do. But I've taken dogs that, for some reason, don't want to work a single, and I've taken them and done various things with them and got them to like a single. And then once they like it, they can become very tenacious at holding it. So I think that just like ourselves, learning to to run the dog's paddy, you know there's some are really good at it straight away and some of them take longer. But um, in general, I would say the ones that get it straight away are, are the better ones. But um, some of those ones that take longer can still be very, very... Very serviceable.
1: Yeah, so it's good to know if, if we have a dog we really like, and he's just not, we're getting that feeling he's not just 100% of it. It'd certainly make him an awful lot better by, by training him properly.
2: Absolutely. Just take the shed alone. You know, you when, when you go to shed sheep, if you want to break it down, the shed's made up of three parts, and it's a bit like an engine. If, if the dog doesn't like one of the parts, then that would be the part you work on but here's the
1: thing I often wonder about Althorne. Well, I want to ask you two questions about it. One is when you're judging it, and the other is when you're training.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's, I don't normally say this to people, but just seeing you like the shed, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how it, how it feels for me. When I've got sheep lined out, and there's not much of a gap, if any gap at all. Yes. And I call my dog, and that dog comes in there and whips that. And, and it's like a violent thing. It whips that sheep off the back and, and just takes it away and there's just no option. It's like somebody sucks. It's like somebody sucks the breath right out of me. Yes. I just... I just... it just go... <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like, wow.
1: Well, I want to ask you two questions about it. One is when you're judging it and the other is when you're training. When you start singling... You know, and especially in a work situation. Like, I've had dogs that will never turn inside out or never turn about tail. And, you know, they'll keep themselves at the fairly at, at the right distance off the sheep and feed it properly. But you know the way that some dogs there, and especially if you're in a working situation, and you know, oh, I just need to stop now or I'm going to put him in a situation where he's going to turn about tail. I mean, I don't want that. Now, I don't know if that's a big issue for everybody, but it's a thing I hate to see. Like, uh, what, what do you think about that turn about tail when you're training, can we can we set it up better to avoid that kind of situation, or make a dog better at not putting himself in that place?
2: It depends on the dog. I mean, some dogs, its breeding um, yeah. has has a lot to do with it. So if they've if they've got a bad turn and them, there's really not much you can do about it. You can yes. you can do various things, but it's just they can't they can't stand it. I mean, when you're when you're working a single, you got to you got to try and think why do the turn tail. So. Do they not are they scared of the sheep? Is that is that one thing? Do they um, when when they're wearing the sheep, generally dogs will give a little more room on one flank than they do in the other. Is the is the tighter flank do they get too close to the sheep and leave themselves with nowhere to go, so they've either got to run past it and turn tail, um or they've got to grip it one of the two. So what do you do but it's too late to stop and and stop and turn or is their coordination not good? Is there the way they're built, you know, there, there are some dogs. You'll see them. They try and use their front feet to stop instead of turning over their hocks the way they should do. And when those that use their front feet to stop, it takes them a little longer to stop. You will also often see their tails come up as well. Yes. And so, if that's the case, if they're using their front feet to stop, and and their tails and they're getting too close like that, then what you've got to do is you've got to put some work in their single to try and get them to get them to give more room on that side. And if you if they give the sheep more room on that side, then they're they're slow to turn. You've got more chance of them not turning tail and, and uh, getting round and, and back into the faces of the sheep again before the sheep gets past them, but you know, you've know you got to do a lot of training, and when you get into one of these high-pressure situations, it really doesn't matter. That kind of training doesn't hold up, right, so yes. a single's a great way to evaluate a lot of things in a dog as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, and, and I've got a list of things that that you can look at and, and uh, and, and tell just from a dog working a single sheep and, and not every single sheep of course and not every situation but you know there's there's a bunch of things that you can tell from that so there's only so much training can overcome and when you see a dog in a single it's pretty much on its own so your, your training that you've done and the little help you can give it is, a, is good but, but um, you know you'll find out a lot about your dog when you're in those situations and if you're worried about that dog turn and tail then you obviously know that that's that's a good possibility with that dog if you figure out why maybe you can help it with training
1: yeah that's very interesting now because and those three situations or the three types you describe i can picture all those as you're talking there and uh and then the other situation is when i'm judging and uh i see a turntail or a pen or a shed or a single or wherever i see it like nine, nine times out of ten when i see it it's not called for like it's just a, a weakness how do you judge that or how do you judge it if, if you wouldn't mind telling me I,
2: well, usually for me, it's a five-point penalty, and uh, I'm I'm probably a little harder than most. It was a five-point penalty when I was a young handler. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, it, judging the whole the whole attitude to judging has has changed. I'm not so sure about Great Britain, but out in the U.S. here, we're, we're all, every everybody's getting lighter than the judging. You know, like a dog. Even at our national finals last year, a dog runs and and bites a sheep. For you know, supposing it's on the face or anywhere else, but for no reason, you know, just runs at it, yes. like eight yards yards away, has a nip at it and jumps back. They're not getting disqualified anymore. They run at them and bite them in the bite them in the butt. They're not getting disqualified. They're taking some points off. They're not getting yeah. disqualified anymore. So people know now that they're going to be left on, and so they they don't take they don't take such great care to not let that happen because they want their dogs to win and the dogs out here are more important than the sheep are. Yes. Um, so I would say that the shedding is about the same. You know, I think everybody wants to let everybody play and, and nobody wants to judge them hard. And, you know, a singling dog, you know, especially in Scotland where, where um, you know, the sheep are more herded on motorbikes and, you know, dogs ride in the back of bikes and they jump off and do some work and jump back on the bike and away they go again and... A singling dog is not nearly as important as it used to be. You know, it was never, I don't think it was never really an important thing in Wales, and that's why for a long time um, Wales didn't put much of an emphasis on shedding, um, yes. especially when, when I was younger. But uh, nowadays, I don't think the, the singling dog, we, we get by, it's a, it, sheep aren't looked after the same, so there, there's no need for a singling dog. And, and the things that I look in a singling dog, while they tell me a lot about the dog, are really not, anything that anybody seems to be bothered about anymore so when you're when when they come to judging if they don't really think that uh, there's a good reason for for uh, hammering somebody hard then they just don't do it and uh, when i started out it was you, your dog turn tail it was automatic five points that's yes. just the way it was yes. um sometimes if it was really under pressure someone might take three but you know that's that's the way and, and i'm i've pretty much kept that up and uh, for 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 turn tails I'll never take less than three.
1: Well, I, I like and delighted you told me that now, um, because me and you both know there what it means when you're working and your dog lets you down on a single. You know, maybe it puts an hour's work on you, or maybe it messes up something there, you know, or mixes up something, or it. It just when you can get it right, things go to plan, and when he gets it wrong, it usually means bigger consequences for the for the shepherd or the handler or the farmer, and uh, and probably judge myself harder than I judge other people because I'm thinking I wouldn't put up with that at home. For for me. But um, I'd like to just sort of explain that to me now because I, I, I like your view on that very much and the importance of a single and dog. And so I heard I heard Pen Macnow saying to me there, oh, maybe a year and a half ago or that, he was saying that, uh, that he thinks there's a bit of a responsibility on judges to, to keep the judging right, so to keep the standard up, to keep the quality of the dogs up. And is that a little bit like what you're saying with the single and there? If we were tougher on the single and that the dogs that are good at it well, well they be rewarded a little bit at least? Will be encouraging? Them. What is that? What you kind of think? What do you think about that?
2: Well, I think you're <clears throat> you're absolutely right, Paddy. But uh, unfortunately, I think we're in the minority. And and uh, the you see, for a a dog here that you know, a sheep running at a dog and the dog turns tail. Instead of uh, saying that's a problem with the dog, people here would say, well, that that dog it, it could never stop that sheep anyway. So that's all they could do, and and they come up with excuses instead of the looking at the dogs and trying to keep the dogs to the breeding of the dogs, right? And they, I think we've we've bred the dogs a lot easier to manage, a lot more biddable, and we've lost a lot of qualities, but we've actually gained a lot of qualities as well. You know, there's people can run dogs now that when I was young we had a hard job to find dogs they could run. Yes. Um, you know, there, there's you know a woman in the middle of Los Angeles that can go to go out to see sheep once a week and uh, she can go out and see them once a week and then she can go to a trial and compete and uh, you know we hard to get dogs like that in the old days and nowadays there's quite a lot of people do that so and they're still relatively competent dogs and they might not be great in a single but they can get out there and and they give people a lot of fun so they, they it's more of a leisure sport out here now than it is an agricultural sport. You know, the head of our organisation is a lawyer, and, and uh, a lot of the people that that are in the directors and stuff are not really agricultural people. They're, they're more come from other walks of life. So, you know, when the when the when when the captain of the ship and the pilot of the ship um, changes, then sometimes the ship goes in a new new direction. You know?
1: Yes, yes, and uh, uh, like I've been out of trials for 15 years and I just kind of came back a year or two ago, so I see a lot of changes like that and uh, there's, a, there's, there's some negatives come with it, but there's, the sport is really growing over here and, and even on the continent and, of course, the standard of handling is super and uh, I see a lot more ladies, uh, lady handlers. Years ago when I was trialing in Ireland, I only knew of one lady handler that, I, that we'd run into sometimes and so, so there's the, the pros and cons, but I... I I was judging myself there uh, could have been last November and I remember there was a single on it and it's funny I just in my head I was thinking no, we'll just make him hold it like one second longer and it's funny the way one second was able to make such a difference and it just quilled out a few people who yeah. were having nice runs but that extra second just put them out of business but it was probably a little bit of a responsibility on some of us then to uphold things in, in little ways like that maybe Hi there
2: is when, when I'm judging I I'm like when a Ask people to shed, whether it's two sheep or one sheep. I, I want the sheep turned twice. You know, I like it turned once and then turned a second time. I like the dog to show control. Yes. And the, the the problem with that is that you've got to be a good enough stocks person to know when sheep when you can do that with sheep. You know, there's some sheep you'll run on. You know, when you get the dog in and get them shed off, you know, they, they're, they can be half crazy or out here they can be wool blind and they're just going to run over the dog anyway and they're really mm-hmm. – they're going to do it dog after dog after dog after dog. So you know, there's not. It would be a bit ridiculous to make them uh, to work it more. But um, most of the time, we can get people to turn the dog, turn the sheep twice, or show control. Yes. And say you've got, you've got the the sheep under. If the if the sheep turns round and the dog, then make the make the dog turn the sheep, um, unless it's one of those ridiculous situations. And and we can do that a lot out here in in Scotland. A little bit different, um, but. Uh, I think the the judging we accept we accept that the dogs are either going to go on a collision course and grip the sheep or turn tail. So the judges shouted too uh, yes. quickly and we've lost it. We've lost a lot of the no, no emphasis put on on judging the good singling dogs to give them the advantage in certain situations so we've lost that to a certain extent and I I don't think that there is anybody that's going to want that back you know we're we're not like out here we've got cutting horses and the cutting horses when they're when they go into their objective is to go into an arena and you're sitting on your horse and you've got probably about 30 cows usually all black ones but you know they can they can differ and what you've got to do is you've got to pick one out and get it away from the Get them off the herd, and as soon as it's off from the herd, you let your reins go and you just hold the pommel of the of the of the saddle, and then the horse has got to keep that cow away from the away from the group, and so you're just actually sitting there, and I mean you can help it a little bit with your knees and your heels, I'm sure, but you know when you've got no reins to do it, then then you've got to you've got to rely on the horse working that cow the same as a dog works a single. Yes. And and the dog. They train the horses to give those little square flanks to keep, to keep the horse in front of the cow, and and some of it's quite quite amazing. I mean, a, a cow's a lot bigger than a sheep, but then a horse is a lot bigger than a dog, so it's it's a, a very very similar exercise. And they they put if you cut a bad cow, you can't show your horse, so yes. you don't get any points. So you try and cut a cow that's going to be active and going to try and beat you. They they want the cow to try and beat the horse, yes. so they can show the horse. Yes, whereas, and then they get the good points. Whereas we don't, we want the dogs, and we don't want to have to beat anything. We just want our ten points. And yeah, just it's, it's get r- attitude.
1: Yeah, we're trying to get out safely. I didn't know the boys dropped yeah. the reins on the cutting horse. Yes, so that, it really is down to the horse and the training they've done up to that. Apart from maybe a few yeah. little cues with your legs, but that'd be not enough.
2: Yeah, it's a bit like a bit like a dog in a single. There's only so much once it gets on a, a difficult sheet. There's only so much help that you can give it, and, and uh, you see a lot more. You see a lot more of the horse and a lot more of the dog when it's when it's not
1: got any help. it's funny, you've cleared that up a lot for me with the with the single, the fact that, you know, there's only so much I can do in training that really it's down to the dog. And you think then that some dogs are just genetic, it's just running through the lines that are good at singles. Like I've had dogs that, that in my head I think you know, I've had a few of them for the same line and I'm thinking, Jeez, they come through the eye of a needle. But uh, it's like that with single and that that some of it is genetic and it's just coming, it's in the it's in the suitcase like
2: well, if you look at some of the, you know, it is genetics and, and uh, mostly and, and bad training can, you can you can put a, put a turntail in a good dog with, with bad training as well. But if you're, you know, when you go to see a dog, if you go to buy a dog and, and uh, whoever it is will, will work a single, work it on a single, you can tell a lot in a short period um, about that dog and how honest it is and sometimes how honest the seller is, you know, when you're to, to work a single. You've got to have a certain amount of confidence. Yes. And um, you've got, you've also got to have a certain amount of balance. A dog's got to get round into the front of the sheep, and, yes. and find the balance point of where it's going to stop it. Your dog's probably going to have to have a bit of courage. And, and this is not on all sheep, but you know, if if you're working singles over time, this is the kind of things that you would be, that you'd be um, looking to see if it had. So if it, it's it's going to get faced up at some point, and it's got to have courage to stand in there, and, and uh, maybe the sheep's going to. Try and defend itself or whatever. It's got to have room in its flanks. It should have enough room in its flanks to where it gives the sheep enough room to stop, but not enough room to think that the sheep that it's giving ground and that the sheep can get past it. And that's that's um, that's difficult. Uh, There's too much ground and and that that so, bit is
1: that bit is sort of untrainable. That for the dog to know which way to be and to keep his flanks right and not give too much and not 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 tighten.
2: Aye. That, that's, that's genetics a lot of it and, and you can do a bit of it with training but as I say there's only so much when, the, when you get in a determined single it, there's only so much you can, you can do the other thing you touched on is a turn tail if your dog's, if the dog's got a turn tail um, the reasons for the turn tail went through like the coordination of the dog but it can't stop and turn properly if it's badly made um, um, you can also watch on a single you can watch a dog's tail if it's starting to move its tail or throw it and it's either scared or unconfident or or off balance if his coordination's bad. You can see his determination, how determined it is to get to stay on that sheep and not give up. Yes, you can see if it's aggression. You can see if it's aggression. But sometimes they'll just want to go in there and bite something. You can tell stamina because you work a single for a while, I don't Tell by yeah. <laughs> how, how far out its tongue is, whether it's got whether it's got uh, some staying power. Um, you can tell about its temperament under pressure. You can tell about the kind of eye that it's got, and uh, you can t- tell. How does a dog handle a sheep running at it as opposed to when the sheep's trying to run past it or run away from it? Um, how does it handle a sheep that's standing, looking at it, and then turns away? A lot of dogs will just follow them, but some dogs will just run in as soon as the dog turns oh, yes, yes. and then bite, and bite it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell if it overflanks, if it overflanking in the sheep or it's underflanking the sheep and doesn't want to go into the eye or tries to get past the eye so it doesn't have to stop in the, in, in the front of them. And uh, that's, you know, that's just... A bunch of the things that you just working. You know, yeah, some singles. Uh, single,
1: single so gives, single gives up all the secrets there right away. And like you say with I the stamina,
2: think. the stamina is <laughs> nearly
1: like watching the petrol gauge going down in the in the car there. <laughs> anyway, on, on, on the single there, yeah. what is that with the single though with the with the stamina? Is it concentration that's burning it out of them? Or, geez, it really does suck it up out of them. Like when you go to a national or something like that, like you really need to have a lot in your tank because if you get a bit of trouble in the shedding ring or at the single and. Like you'll use up your resources fairly fast, won't you?
2: Uh, I think it's a lot to do with with mental strength. You know, the mental side of it can sap a dog's stamina as well. You know, and if it's if it's working a single for any length of time, it's not only uh, physically physically tiring, but it's it's mentally tiring for a lot of dogs as well. And so we have, you've got to look at the you know the mental aspect um, and having an effect. Some dogs will, will wear away at a single grate, and other dogs won't. Some dogs. You know, they're. they're, You you see quite a lot of dogs when they're running. They're they're what I call uneconomical runners. That they 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 don't have good action. Yes. And so, because you see some dogs just when they're going up a hill, it's like they float up a hill.
1: Yes, you can see that. Yes,
2: yeah, you know, when do- some dogs are running on the flat ground, they just float, and you look yes. at other dogs; they make run- they make running look like hard work. Yes, and those dogs that make running look like hard work often don't have good stamina, and it's probably something to do with their, the way they're built, you know, the, the, the way they're put together. Well, you,
1: well, you you mentioned the cotton horses a minute ago. Years ago, we used to be doing three-year-olds there, and we'd be jump, jumping horses. But every now and again, you bring one in, and before you jump at all, it's now a heavy old sand arena, and you'd see them floating around on it. Whereas some other fellow, you'd think he was pulling a plow and uh, it's that, that athleticism are just are well made or it's just it's just a pleasure to see one like that just floating along in heavy stuff like
2: it, it is it is I mean I've got you, you know most of the dogs have, or a lot of the dogs can be similar and then you'll get one that just goes up a hill like it's not standing. I always remember uh, years ago there was Stuart Davidson had a dog called Hope and he used to go to Do Hill Trial which was at that time the toughest hill trial in the country and he won it seven years in a row <laughs> and and Hope used to go up that hill like the other dogs went up a bray, And everyone else's dogs were struggling to get up there. And just Hope, he's just sailed it every time. and yes. And he uh, had an incredible record. And I always admired him in the hill, that dog. And just a uh, 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 great dog to watch, an effortless, effortless mover.
1: Yes. Now, I'm glad we had this conversation. I read a newsletter before that you wrote about things, and I was thinking... I love that stuff that Alistair's saying, but I don't hear anybody else saying it. It's like, oh, well, I, you know, i all have a conversation about a single dog. But I have never spoken to anybody the way we were just talking about that now. And uh, I going not treasure that. Was, you said something to me the other day I thought was really good. And it sort of describes me to a T there. It, it, and, and it's the thing I need to change if I want to progress in trials. And you said that, now, I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it sort of went like, you know, a lot of people train the dog up to when it knows a thing but they don't keep training until it becomes instinctive. And, uh, you know, I think that's – I've always trained up. I've always done enough, but I've never – is that the difference when you're when you're talking about Supremes and you're aiming for the top five or the top couple of places all? Is that is that the difference that, first, you have a good dog, but but that you take them the whole way until everything is instinctive and patterns are just ingrained in the dog? Um, like another word I hear you use a lot that I love is – until it becomes intuitive. Is that the difference between the 90% and the 10% or the 5% of top handlers?
2: I don't know. That's a, that's a good question, Paddy. I wouldn't know what to, what, what to say you know, for, for other people like that. I think that the top handlers are like, um, they're like professionals, um, a lot of them, and or they have a professional approach to what they're doing and, and I always say, if you, want to be at, if you want to be at the top, the difference between the top and the rest are the top ones. The rest train until they can get something done, and the top handlers train until it's unlikely they can't. Yes. And I think I think that's more of a difference. And, and in, in doing that, they, they train they, they train the dogs to, to a level to where, you know. When when they're prepared for everything and they've got them, the dogs ready to instinctively do it, and and that's part of their their, their intuitiveness, you know. And, and when when you when they train dogs, they understand how dogs work and how they think, and and you train them to their strengths. And they, that's that's a difficult thing. Again, it's individual dogs, and you've got to have a feel for a feel for each. For each dog and and how to get them there, but you you want, you want when you give a dog a command, you want it to do it instinctively. You don't want it to think about it or think about the options of, you know, when you want a flank, you want a flank. You don't want the dog to think, well, I don't really want to flank because I'm on the balance here or or stuff like that. The dog's got to, dog's got to respond immediately. And and, uh, I think that the top people have that in in a lot of aspects of their training.
1: Uh, so th- they have it down to the point that they always know what they're going to get when they ask for, if they ask for a little thing or a big thing, or you know, they're they're ninety nine and a half percent sure of how the dog is going to act. Like is that what you mean?
2: Uh, that's what I mean, Barry. And and you know, you're always going to get your exceptions, and your dogs don't run, your dogs don't run, you know, exceptionally well all the time, and, and dogs will. We'll have have a period where they're not doing what you want or not running as well but uh, uh, in the main when when they've got their dogs prepared and they've got them running well then they're, they're uh, that's exactly that's exactly right i would say
1: yes and um i i'd like to talk to you about what well, it's like in america and all but our interview could get very long very very easily because i could talk to you for the rest <laughs> of the evening here but um i, I bought the, your turn back tutorial there because you know, I'm comfortable enough, I'm not saying I'm good, but I'm comfortable enough to training most aspects of my dog and all, but turn back was something I hadn't got a clue about, and uh, and, I, and I talked to you a bit, and I bought your tutorial, and in it, when I heard the words intuitive and stuff like that, there was a couple of other little things in it that I heard, and I said, i just so glad I got this, and so now, when I, when I train at home and all, I'm very comfortable about it, but recently I see... Um, You've started uh, the McR- McRae Academy. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it looks like a big bundle of stuff like all your... It, what is it exactly, the McRae Academy? It looks great now, but I don't understand it.
2: Well, it's um, it's an online training tool. I, I always thought when the great Johnny Wilson died, uh, I just looked at him and I thought to myself, all his all his knowledge is gone. You know, that the other people will have some of it and figure it out, but, you know, he had such a... A, a tremendous grasp of all things uh, sheep and dogs that um, I always thought it was a shame that he hadn't been able to, to pass it on. And the way we make our living out here is with is with doing lessons in clinics and stuff like that. And so we try and we thought that we'd uh, put out this academy to, to where, you know, you sign on online. And it's to try and give that information to everybody that needs it, and it's mostly, you know, the groundwork of how to prepare dogs, how to train dogs, how to do everything that you you really need for for trials, and a lot with work. It's not so much to define you as a style, but to give you um, a good grasp of what you what people need to do. And as you said yourself, for the for the for the turnbacks, mm-hmm. you know, we've given you the the tools to go and do. Um, very, very good turnbacks, and giving you the reasons why, and explained it all. So when you when you when you log in, you get that. You get all sorts of videos. We get judging videos, where we um, have got you know arrows. We've got we we'll go through a run, and then we'll um, run run the say there's say there's she'd miss a gate. And yes. you don't know why the missing gate. We'll, run, we'll run that back, and we'll put arrows of where the dog is and where the sheep are, and, and what they're doing, and why yes. this happened. And we'll we'll try and explain the process. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that as it uh, as we go on. So I think it's a it's a vehicle that, that anybody that's interested in training dogs at all that would be well worth checking out because I, I think it's the best thing we've done. And it's a bit like years and years ago, I put out a shedding video, and. You, you don't make a great lot of money off videos. We're, we're, we're not a big market, sheep sheepdog trials, and so you don't make a lot of money. But when I saw all the dogs out here, especially on the East Coast, where the sheep are exceptionally difficult to shed because they're all
1: little, o- little, oh, oh, yeah, a little overdogged and and they, they
2: Oh, dear, dear, yeah, and and you see the people asking dogs to come in and the dogs were looking at them like they didn't understand or whipping round them or gripping or just look, and looked so many defeated looking dogs. I just thought I'm yes. going to put out a video and try and get this and it's more for me to give back or more for us I should say to give back to the to the dogs than than. To make a lot of money because you you're really not a great lot of money and it, and this academy is the same it's it's part of, of giving people um, a lot of the information about training that I've learned and trying to do it at, at an affordable price and you can do this anywhere in the world you know you, the good thing about the computer is now uh, people in in all countries you know that uh, we've got we only started it about a uh, couple of months ago we've got about 600 members already and. Uh, we're from all countries and it doesn't matter where you are you can you can log in and you can watch the videos at any time you want and there's access to other videos as well and uh, you can do it on your own time you can it doesn't matter if, if you don't have time for two weeks you can do it in three weeks you get access to a lot of the stuff most of the time and it, I think it's uh, we're really actually very very excited about with about the whole thing probably the best thing I've ever done.
1: Yes, yes. It's funny. That's the the whole reason I wanted to make some interviews and some videos and things like that. I was, you know, I had a lot of big conversations with Penn Manknow there for the last couple of years, uh, and I had meant to interview him, and I just felt a bit awkward about it, and never got around to it. And and so now he's gone, and uh, you know, we had so many conversations there. It would have been just so simple to record it, and uh, and he'd have been yeah. fine with it. But to to like you say with Johnny Wilson, to keep some of that stuff like those boys. Uh, and and yourself and fellas like you have a uh, you know you, you've walked the walk you have found out all the stuff and not that i mean most people have to you know you, you're going to have to you get there's no f- real fast track to education but it's lovely to be able to draw on stuff if i have questions and i ask you a, a, and you know you can analyze it fairly quick you've been there you've been done that 99 percent of the times like and uh so i i think that's a lovely thing that to be given everybody and, well, of co- I, I and, also... and sorry to interrupt you but it's like me okay. like like uh, at the moment everything i have is free but like it costs money it costs time uh, it costs lots of things there they don't just go up for free and all so i mean uh, i'm quite willing to pay for stuff if i think something will help me i'm i'm very willing to pay for it my my old buddy when i started my old buddy norman deacon he tied up with me and uh like and, and so for him, he got to travel with me for free or to trials that he maybe he wouldn't have got to before. And in return, then, he was helping me. And so it was a win-win all the time. But the beauty of it for me was he was able to fast-forward me. He had 40 years experience of that. He was able to fast-forward me. And, and so I didn't have to learn everything the slow way. And so now, if I think you have something that will help me God, no, I'll I won't waste anything. My pride won't get in the way. I'll ask you in two seconds if it can shunt me forward six months or two years, or or turn a, a, a save a, a good dog from being badly trained. I'll, I'll get on the phone with somebody fairly fast, or talk to you, or whatever I need to do.
2: Well, it's, that's uh, that's good, and, and you know that when when you get stuff, what we put on the academy is is stuff that we absolutely believe in. That um, you know is tried and tested. There's a lot of Information places that you can get for free on the internet and you know, a novice boards and, and a, you know training boards and some of the advice on there is good, but some of it is is bad. You know when you when you take somebody that's learned a dog, they've had a, a dog that's just been an intuitive shedder just got it straight away. They did they, they did three really kind of stupid things, but this dog just turned into a good shedder because it was going to, going to be a good shedder, and then they're advising other people to do it. On on some of these on on some of these computer um, internet uh, sites and and it's really bad advice and and uh, it's difficult for people that really don't know to sort through what is good and what is bad and what works and what doesn't and what's detrimental and what's positive. So you know I think we've given people a good alternative that if you. It would cost us money to keep this going, you know, the, the the sites and all that stuff. This is not this is not free. We've got to keep it up and we've got to put a lot of work into it and a lot of time. So um we, we keep it as affordable as we can and, and hopefully everybody lots of people take advantage of it.
1: Yeah. Sometimes people I, I see people um you know, questioning the price of something. I saw somebody complaining about uh, the the price of a book recently and I was amused. I was thinking should buy ten of them. What the hell? Look at nobody well not nobody. When I hear people complaining about the money, I automatically think, what's the cost of bad information? Like what's the cost of going forward with the information you have in your head? Like what's that costing you? Yeah. You know, maybe that's going to cost you five years. Maybe it's going to cost you you know something you're after in a big trial because 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 you're basing your thing on faulty information. So I don't know. Um, uh, I, I always think good information doesn't matter if it's an accountant or it's a dentist or it's a solicitor or stuff, whatever. I need. I'll try and buy the best one I can afford because a bad accountant would be a fairly expensive man for me. Like, no matter how cheap I, he if is. You, like. if, if,
2: if you think uh, if you if you think paying for good advice is expensive, try paying for, <laughs> try and getting bad advice. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um and. Listen, I'm not going to keep you all day, but I must say, Alistair, sometime now I want to talk to you about the, the differences in America and judging in America and dogs in America and all, because I, I'm really interested in that. And Because uh, I see everybody on Facebook, you know, and uh, a lot of people in the States, and I haven't a clue what they're, they're dealing with. And so I um, shouldn't even be commenting on it, really, because I don't know. But uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that in the future. And uh, But your, your stuff there on the single and judging and all that, that'll be invaluable for me there. You're after clearing me up a lot so thanks very much well, for
2: that you're welcome patty Anytime. Anyway.
1: and and the, the whole thing i love about these i don't know for people listening but when i talk to somebody like you or i talk to third or, or any of the people i've talked to it's always sparking ideas or it's sparking some thoughts next week or the week month next month that they didn't have before and that they didn't come up with on my own it was as a result of a combination it's like two and two equals seven as opposed to my one and one is just always one like so um yeah, uh, it's been great to talk to you, and thanks for all your help up to this as well, Alistair. Thanks very much.
2: You're, well, you're welcome, buddy. You're welcome.
0: So thanks for listening. I hope this interview has sparked some new ideas for you. If you want to support Churchman and to learn more about us and how we train dogs, you can become a Patreon subscriber over at our website at churchmansheepdogs.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at churchmansheepdogs. Sheepdogs.